Hey, good morning, Schweitzer, and the rest of the world who's watching. I'm Pastor Jason, one of the pastors here at Schweitzer. It is a joy to welcome you to worship today. Thanks for joining us on this platform. We've got songs, we've got a sermon, we've got some stuff that's going to really speak to your heart, inspire us, especially as we look at the story of Abraham and his sense of faith and fear. God has a message for each and every one of us. Today, as we worship together, we'd invite you to just engage in all kinds of ways. Around the page somewhere, you'll see a place where you can chat or you can submit a prayer request. There are people here who are willing to engage with you. Thanks for joining us. Let's head into worship. Lift up your voice, come on and sing to our God, the everlasting King. Lift up your voice, come on and sing to our God, the Your voice, come 
Friends, I, I want to invite you to pray with me today. And recently I came across a prayer in the book called Every Moment Holy that really speaks to the time that we're in where we have a virus that's afflicting countless people in all kinds of places. And the name of the prayer is called A Liturgy for Moments of Emergency. I invite you to pray along as, as these words scroll across the screen. Oh God, our rock, hold us in this chaos. Oh Christ, our King, calm us in this storm. Oh Holy Spirit, intercede for us. Be merciful, most merciful God. Oh God, our rock, hold us in the chaos of this hard hour. Oh Christ, our King, calm us in the storm of our distress. Oh Holy Spirit, intervene and intercede. We need you now, most merciful God. Let's continue in our prayers. Many of us have had plans and lots of events that we had in mind. And we faced a great deal of disruption. And that disruption brings along with it a sense of loss. Would you now, in just a few moments, just name some of those things that you're really sensing and feeling the weight of disappointment over? Would you take a moment and tell God what those things are? around us are people that we care about, we think about. Some of us have people that we'd love to go and see, but we can't go and see. People have become, they've come back into the forefront of our mind, people that we care and love and are deeply concerned about. Would you take a couple of moments and lift up names to the Lord of people that you are really concerned about, that you would love to see but can't, that you'd love to visit with but can't that you know need God's intervention. Take a moment and lift some names up to the Lord. Also in these, in these times where there's a new challenge, there are ways in which God reminds us daily that he's with us. There are ways in which his grace is found new and fresh and really is sufficient for our needs. So I'd invite you to take a moment and to give thanks, to rejoice in how God has showed up in your life this past week. Name some of those moments to God. Kind Father, we give you thanks for your mercies that are new every morning. We give you thanks that you come alongside of us. And even in moments where there's a great challenge, in moments where there's plenty of chaos, you come 
with the light of Christ, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, with the love of the Father, you come alongside of us and you speak and you whisper into our ears. You light the lamp that we're supposed to walk upon and you are our God and Savior. So we give you thanks for your goodness to us, to all of those around us. We ask that you would teach us to pray as together with one voice, we lift up the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As an act of worship, we want to make available the opportunity for all of us to give and be a part of what God is up to. You can go to sumc.co and give there. You can also give to the ministries of Schweitzer, the extension of God's kingdom in this place, through our new Church Center app. If you follow the links below, you'll find the ways to Church Center. Also, if you had a profile on our old way of giving online, we invite you to go on to the website, disable that old account, and create a new profile through the Church Center app. Thank you for your generosity. It makes all kinds of ministry through Schweitzer possible. And in these days, it's making all kinds of new opportunities possible. And now let's continue in our worship with another song. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah. 
Throughout this entire year, we've been telling stories. People who've connected with Schweitzer, who found God present in their daily life, their daily work. I invite you to watch today's 52 stories about Freddie Lane and his work through our food pantry. Me and my wife attend uh, the Bible and Quarry Sunday School class. I'm also involved in the uh, Monday mornings Movers and Shakers Bible study with men, and I helped Jim Clifton assist him in cooking the breakfast for the, for the men. I worked with Jones Truck Lines. I had a chance to transfer up here in, in January of 1974. I worked for them for 19 years. In July of 1991, uh, because of deregulation, Jones Truck Lines shut down. And I guess the hardest thing that I had to do was come home and tell my wife and two children that I didn't have a job, uh, no future that we could know of or know what to do along that line. But uh, I think our faith in, in God and the church family that was there to support us really made a big difference. Uh, we also reached out to God because we couldn't do this alone and we knew that through prayer and stuff that we He would take care of us. I'm not saying it was a easy road, but there's always bumps and high spots and low spots and all your travels and stuff. But as long as you can depend on God and know that your church family is there to help you, uh, everything will work out. Maybe not like you want it to, but it will work out. We have 13 other organizations that we work with, uh, food pantries, recovery houses, also uh, Safe to Sleep, Harmony House that we deal with each week along that line to supply the necessities that they have or need uh, from the food that we get from uh, associated wholesale grocers. Working in the food pantry, the different shifts you work with, you become like a family. And like me, some of these people that come into the pantry may have lost their jobs and stuff, so I can kind of speak to them and show them and give them some, that there is hope out there, that they're not left out there by themselves. And, and there is uh, 
light at the end of the tunnel and stuff. My name is Freddie Lane and this is just the beginning of my story. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Spencer. It's good to, to join with you today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 15. We're on a series called Faith and Fear. We're exploring one of the most important people in history. His name's Abraham. Abraham is a hero of faith to some four billion people. Four billion, by the way, is the number of um, Muslims, Jews, and Christians in the world today. All look to Abraham in some way as a hero of faith. And what's so fascinating about Abraham is that while he's a hero of faith to so many people, he is also somebody who deeply struggles with fear. And so in this series, we're looking at this dynamic of, of faith and fear and the struggle that we have and how is it that we can live by faith and not by fear. And Abraham is a, a great uh, person to look to because um, at times we see Abraham making some of the most inspiring, faithful choices that anybody's going to make in the Bible. And then you'll see Abraham making totally different kind of choices where he just makes these choices, living by fear, just crushing moments of fear. And so we're looking at him to see this dynamic of, of how he um, lives and how he eventually finds uh, victory at the end where he, at the end of his story, is he's uh, living by faith. And so last week we got this going. We looked at two stories to show this dynamic of faith and fear. Both came from Genesis chapter 12. And they, they started off, Genesis 12 starts off with um, meeting Abram, Abraham. At the time he goes by the name Abram, not Abraham. And we meet Abram and uh, God gives him this promise, incredible promise in Genesis 12 verse 3. We looked at this last week where God said to Abram that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This, this promise that, uh, that through Abraham, everyone who is alive and will be alive is going to be better off because of him. And by the way, that's the storyline of the rest of the Bible, how God uses Abram and his family to bless the world, ultimately, of course, through Jesus Christ, who blesses everyone by his death and resurrection. And so with this, this promise that's given to Abraham to bless the world, um, Abraham's also told that, that he's going to have to move and he's going to go from his home. He's 75 years old. He's married. He's wealthy. And he's going to uproot and start his life over in a new land that God is going to show him when he gets there. Abraham's not told where it's going to be, just he's going to show him when he gets there. Uh, the, this promised land that Abraham is going to be sent to. And, and, and this inspiring story we started off with, we saw that Abraham uproots and he, and he goes. And then, and then as you keep going, the very next story in the Bible, we looked at these stories side by side because that's how it's written in the Bible. Abraham makes a very different kind of choice. And instead of living by faith, um, he now starts to live by fear because once he's in the promised land, things get harder. A, a famine breaks out and so there's a challenge because you know, life is never as easy as it should be. And so there's this, there's this challenge with this famine that's come upon the land. And, and there's this question now of what will the man of faith, this hero of faith do with this challenge? And the answer is that we saw, well, he runs away. He goes to Egypt. God called Abraham to go to the promised land. Abraham makes the decision to go to Egypt because there's, it's going to be easier in Egypt. And once he's in Egypt, uh, he starts making even worse choices. He's, he gets scared of, of how people are going to treat him because of his wife. His wife is beautiful, the Bible tells us. And so he tells his wife, pretend that we're not married. That lie just kind of snowballs because that's what lies do. It just snowballs out of control and eventually... Abraham um, has to give his wife to Pharaoh, just a really terrible thing that he's doing. And he's, and he's making these, these choices because he's being driven by fear. This is what fear does. Is it just things get out of control with us. We treat people terribly. We, we become selfish and self-interested. Uh, we become concerned about, about us. And, and this is what Abraham does. This is what fear does. This is the struggle between faith and fear. And so Abraham is this person who's faithful. 
and then he's fearful, and this is the struggle that we're going to see over and over and over in his life. Now, as the story keeps going in, in Genesis, um, Abraham finally comes to his senses, and he's, he, he realizes that he doesn't need to be in Egypt anymore, and so he decides to go back to the promised land, the land that God has given him. And to go back to the land, um, he, he has to fight a war to go back home. That's Genesis chapter 13 and chapter 14, which I think is really fascinating commentary that while he was originally given this land for free, um, when he decides to go home, he has to fight a war to get back to his home, to this land that God had given him. And so that's Genesis 14, um, when he fights this war. And then we're going to pick up today in Genesis chapter 15. The war is over. Um, Abraham is back in his home. He's back in the land known as Canaan. Later it will be known as Israel. And after his fearful fleeing, um, God is going to restore Abraham's faith. And this is what we're going to read today. It's about how God restores Abraham's faith, restores Abraham uh, from, the, from this fearful decision-making that he's been making. And as we read through this restoration that God speaks over Abraham, this promise and covenant that God makes with Abraham, we're also going to see why is it that you and I, in the midst of whatever it is you might be facing, why is it that we can choose faith instead of fear? So let's start reading Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 1. Here's how it goes. It says, after this, those are the first two words, after this. After what? Well, it's after Abraham's fearful fleeing, after Abraham makes some choices solely because he's afraid, after he treats his wife terribly, after he becomes concerned just about himself, after he has to fight a war to come back home, after all of that. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And here's the word of the Lord. It's so good. Uh, Genesis 15, verse 1 says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I'm going to read that to you one more time. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your shield, your very great reward. Sometimes when you read the Bible, um, words just like jump off the page to you. And, and they grab your attention and you just, you just can't get past them. And I, I have been stuck on these words um, this week. These words just been ringing in my head. Do not be afraid, I am your shield, your very great reward. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. I think these words have been resonating with me because this has been a really hard week for all of us. This has been a really hard week. Um, This has been a week where every day the news seems to get worse. Infections are rising. Death tolls are rising. The stock market's all over the place. Uh, Schools are shut down. Uh, We are are now uh, have this order to stay at home. And I, I just keep waking up in the morning reading the news and and hoping that today is the day where maybe we turn the corner and and maybe there's some good news that surfaces, but but it hasn't been like that at all this week. This week has been a hard, hard week. And I come across these words, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your shield, your very great reward. And I find myself, I'm just stuck on these words, not not able to get past them. And so I start reading commentaries about this. And I I went to a place I don't read very often from, uh, a commentary that's about 500 years old written by John Calvin, and I read some of his words around, around this verse. I just want to share this with you because as I was reading his words, very old words, 500-year-old comments about uh, this, this promise that's given to Abram in this vision, um, I found myself started to be stirred by hope a little bit. So I want to read to you just some of what Calvin writes, and I, I just think this is so rich. But here's what, what Calvin writes about this. He says, In calling himself, that is God, in calling himself Abram's reward, God taught Abram, to be satisfied with himself alone for the purpose of showing him that victory was not the chief and ultimate good that God had designed him to pursue. I, I love that. Victory, ease, comfort, success, right? That, that is not the ultimate good that God has called us for. And, and this is a truth that we need to hear right now. Uh, nowhere in the Bible are we promised ease. 
Nowhere in the Bible are we promised comfort. Nowhere in the Bible are we promised that things are going to be um, easy and smooth sailing. Nowhere do we see this. Instead, what we see um, in the Bible, the promise of the scripture, is that um, God promises us himself. He doesn't promise us ease. He promises us himself. He is the reward. So Calvin goes on and he says this. He says, For whoever will be fully persuaded that his life is protected by the hand of God and that he never can be miserable while God is gracious to him and who consequently resorts to this haven in all his cares and troubles will find the best remedy of all for, ev- for all evil, not because the faithfulness, the faithful, I'm sorry, are entirely free from fear and care as long as they are tossed um, by the tempest and contentiousness, contentions and miseries, but because the storm is hushed in their own breast. It's like the storm is raging around us. But Calvin's like, the reason why we can have peace is because while the storm rages around us, it doesn't rage within us. And then he wraps it up and he says this line, and I think this line is so good. He says, because the defense of God is greater than all dangers, uh, faith triumphs over fear. Because the defense of God is greater than all dangers, faith triumphs over all fears. The storms are going to rage all around us. They don't have to rage within us. They, they don't have to rage in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own thinking. They don't have to rage within us. Uh, peace, it doesn't come from our circumstances. It doesn't come from easy living and things going smoothly all the time. Peace comes when we know him who is our reward. This is the, the word that's spoken over Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am your shield. I am your reward. I am the one that you're looking for. I am the one who's going to give you peace in the midst of any storm. I am the one who's going to calm your heart. I am the one who's going to do this. I am your reward. So the next few verses here, back to Genesis 15, um, God is going to continue to speak to Abram, and he's going to get specific about about this uh, promise that he has. And so here's what God says to Abram next. This is Genesis 15, uh, verse 4. God promises Abram, this elderly Abram, uh, childless Abram, a a son. And here's the promise. He says, a son who is your own flesh and blood, who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. And then it says, he took, that is God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then comes one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Here's what we read. Abram believed the Lord And he, that is the Lord, credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. He credited him as righteousness. In the New Testament, Paul is going to use Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 6, twice to make his central claim about how we are saved by grace and not by faith. Let me read to you what he writes in Romans about this verse. This is Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes, he says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He says, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And then verse 21, I love this. He says, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I love that verse, that God had power to do what he promised. Abram's fully persuaded that God has the ability to come through and do what God has said he can do. This is a great definition of faith. Faith is when we believe that God is able to do what he says. We can believe the promise. Verse 22, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us 
to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is, this is Abram. He, he's believing God. This is what he's going to do for him, that God is going to produce and perform um, what it is that he has. Abram takes God at his word, and this is what makes Abram right with God. Such a central idea in the Bible. It's not because Abram did all the thou shalts or didn't do all the thou shalt nots. It's simply Abram is right with God because Abram trusted him. Abram believed him. Abram took God at his word. He believed that what God had said he can do, he actually will do. This is what God is looking for. This is what honors God. This is what faith is. When we believe the promise that God is able to do what God says he's going to do. And this is what God wants for us. And so to prove that this is what God looks for, this is what God um, wants out of us, um, God's going to take this one step further. So back to Genesis 15, verse 9. This is what God says next. So, so the Lord said to him, to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Super weird shopping list. Abram does it. And here's what happens because of this. It says, Abram brought all these things to him, to the Lord, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. And so we get this, this idea that maybe there's a path being formed with on either side of this path there are these dead animals cut in two. Maybe perhaps there's blood um, flowing down in the middle of these, this, this path because they're, they're dead animals. And, and then we, we're going to skip down to verse uh, 17. And uh, here's what happens in verse 17. It says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, this is a representation of God, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. One of the weirdest things and yet most significant things in the Bible is Genesis 15, 7, right there, with the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch um, walking or passing between these two pieces of animals. Super weird for us, very ordinary for Abram. Uh, because in the ancient world, here's what happened. In the ancient world, when, when two people wanted to make a contract with one another, or maybe a covenant, you might say, a promise with each other, uh, what they would do is, is they would agree on the terms of the contract and to prove their contract, they would, they would take animals and cut them in two and lay them um, on either side of them. And then the two parties who are making the contract or the covenant, that they, they then would, would walk between these dead animals. Um, it's like they're signing on the dotted line like, like we might do. And, and they do this because um, this is a symbolic act that each person is saying that if I don't come through on my part of the contract, May what happened to these animals happen to me. What happened to these animals happened to me. My, my word is so sure that I'm going to put my own life on the line. And in Genesis 15, the remarkable thing is that when God makes this covenant, this contract with Abram, Abram doesn't walk down the, the, the dead animals down that path. God does. God takes the, the responsibility for this promise. God puts his own life on the line to complete the promise, which of course sounds familiar as he'll spare his own son for us, that, that we might have life, that through the death of Jesus, um, God makes a promise with us, um, a promise of salvation and healing and hope that God puts his own life on the line that this covenant might be made true. You see, um, Genesis 15 has this very simple and very profound message it leaps off the page, and it is a message uh, that we need to hear if we are going to be people who live by faith and not by fear. Um, it, is a, it is a message that, that simply is teaching us this, this great truth uh, that God is faithful.
that God is faithful, which of course is a major uh, theme in the Bible that the Bible, the authors of the Bible want you to know over and over again that God is faithful. God is faithful. Major theme in the Bible. In fact, there's this word in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. It's used 250 times, over 250 times in the 39 books of the Old Testament. And it's a, a Hebrew word that's used to describe the character of God. It's just used over and over and over again in the, in the Hebrew Bible. It's the Hebrew word chesed. You got to like, if you're going to say that right, it's chesed. This Hebrew word, let me give you some examples of this word that's used over and over and over again to describe the character of God. Here's a few examples. Here's Psalm 36, verse 5. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Psalm 36, 5 says this. It says, your love, that's the word there, translated chesed, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Now, notice in this example here of what this word is connected to. It's, it's connected to um, God's love here. It's connected to, the, to how, the, how it reaches to the heavens. So it's, it's unending. It's, it's connected to faithfulness, which also reaches to the sky, that it's unending. It's this reminder that, that this core trait of who God is, is, is unending. His love and his faithfulness, it's, it's unending. Here's another example, uh, Lamentations. You don't read from Lamentations very often. Chapter 3, verse 22. This is actually the basis of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But, but listen to this word, this verse. It says, because of the Lord's great love, there it is again, chesed, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. I think the line of the hymn is, thy compassions, they fail not. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Again, notice what this word, this key word in the Bible is linked to. It's linked to things like how God's compassions never fail. There's, there's no end to his compassion towards you. It's linked to his, his faithfulness that is so great that every single morning it's new for you. Every single morning, God's faithfulness is offered to you. This is, this is what it is. Here's Psalm, another example, Psalm 23. Famous Psalm starts off with, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And then it ends, verse six, Psalm 23 ends with this line. Surely your goodness and love, chesed, will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, notice how God's love, his chesed, will, will never end. It, it will go all your life. You can never outrun or, or you can never, out, um, you can never uh, outrun this. It's just always going to be given for you, always going to be offered for you. Here's one more example, Psalm 136. Psalm 136 goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love, there it is, chesed, endures forever. Verse two, give thanks to the God of gods. His love, chesed, endures forever. Verse three, give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love, chesed, endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love, chesed, endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love, chesed, endures forever. And by the way, this psalm keeps going like that for 21 more verses. It's just this repeated statement of how God's love, his, his chesed, this key word that used to describe him is always available to you. It, it endures forever and ever and never runs out. And of course, the greatest example of God's chesed, his love for you is the cross. That God would give his own son for you, for me, for everyone, not because of what we've done or could do or should do, but simply because his love for us is so great that it will never run out, that it reaches to the heavens, that it will go for our entire lives, that it's new every morning, that it's always available to us. God gives his, his son to us because his compassions, they never fail. God gives his son to us because his love endures forever. This is the character of God. This is what God is like. 
God is, is just like this. And so this morning, I just want you to hear this simple message that's spoken over Abraham. The simple message that's given to, to fearful Abraham. This, this simple message we read throughout the scripture. Um, and this is the simple message of why you don't need to live in fear, but why you can live in faith. And his simple message is this. Um, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. No matter what you might be facing, God is faithful. When the news gets darker and darker, and you just wake up in the morning hoping that maybe today is the turning point and it still is not the turning point, God is still faithful. This is the message of the scripture, why we can live in faith, because God is faithful. However, the problem is that while God is faithful, um, we are forgetful. God is faithful, but we are forgetful. We forget the, the faithfulness of God. And this is the dynamic, you see, of, of faith and fear. And, and this is why even people of faith are going to struggle with fear is because while God is faithful, oh, we are forgetful. I, I can't tell you how many amazing things I've seen God do in my life. I've seen God come through for me um, in, in some miraculous ways. I, I could tell you story after story. I, I don't really have the time for that, but I, I could tell you some stories of how God has miraculously provided for me. And, and yet I've, I've found that there's this this thing that happens where every time I have a new crisis show up in my life, like every time this, things get just like a little bit hard, my first reaction is almost always that I forget how faithful God is. And, and instead, I, I start to, to think, well, this new crisis, like it starts to, to build up and get all of my attention and all my focus, and I forget that, that God is, is faithful. This is the dynamic of, of fear and faith is that God is faithful. We, we are forgetful. Let me give you a great example of this. It's from the Bible. Um, many, many generations after Abraham, you know, he's given us this promise of the son. He'll have children. His offspring will grow up into a nation, the people of Israel. And um, for 400 years, the people of Israel will be slaves in Egypt. And during this time, they'll cry out for God, for a deliverer. And the Bible will say that God will hear their cry and he'll raise up Moses, a fugitive, to go to Pharaoh, to confront Pharaoh, to let the people of Israel go, to be free. And so Moses confronts Pharaoh and eventually he wins freedom for Israel and, and Pharaoh decides to let the people go except that he changes his mind after he lets them go because he realizes he's lost all of his workforce. And so he goes after them. And so one night the Israelites are, uh, as a free people, are camped on the banks of the Red Sea. And off in the distance they see Pharaoh coming with the most powerful army on earth, coming after them. And of course everyone is terrified because because they should be terrified. Here comes the most powerful army on earth, and this is a nation of, of slaves without, without warriors or weapons or training or any sort of way of how to know how to fight this. And, and Moses, uh, great Moses, he stands up and he clears his throat. Actually, he doesn't say he clears his throat, but I just imagine he does because it's such a great moment. And he gives one of the greatest speeches of all time, Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to read to you just the, like the main sentence from this speech. One of the greatest speeches of all time, Moses stands up and he says this. He says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And it says the Bible describes how a wind begins to blow across the waters of the Red Sea. And, and as the wind begins to blow, the waters begin to part. And the Israelites are able to walk through the sea on dry ground. And Pharaoh, as he comes after them, uh, his, his own army is drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. And and this, this miracle, the crossing of the Red Sea, it takes place in Exodus 14 and Exodus 15. And outside of the resurrection, it's the greatest miracle in the Bible. So Exodus 14 and 15 tell the story of the 
crossing the Red Sea. Exodus 16, the very next chapter, uh, Moses and the Israelites are running out of food. They've got a new crisis in front of them. And, and this is the same people who just a previous chapter had seen God do the greatest miracle of the Bible. And, and, and here's a new crisis. They're running low on food. And you've got to wonder, well, what are they going to do? What would you do if you have seen God do an incredible thing that you can't explain? It's just this incredible, miraculous event. What would you do with the new crisis? Well, here's what they do with their new crisis. This is Exodus 16, verse 2 and 3. It says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites I'm sorry, said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this, into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Like how in the world can they say this? They just saw the Red Sea get parted. How in the world are they complaining because they're just a little bit hungry? Like, like this, is, this is fear. This is what fear looks like. They're afraid that this challenge that they're facing here is going to be the one that does them in, even though they just saw God do this incredible thing by the parting of the Red Sea. This is fear. And, and, and this is what we do because, because while God is faithful, we're forgetful. We, we forget, we quickly forget how, how when God does amazing things in our life, when the new crisis comes, it's like, there will always be a temptation to think that this new crisis is the thing that does us in. That this new crisis is the, is, the, is the thing that makes us forget. There will always be a temptation that in the midst of a new crisis we'll forget the, the amazing faithfulness that we've seen from God before. Which is why I think the Bible reminds us over and over and over and over again this simple message that God is faithful. Because we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded that God's faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful because every time a new crisis shows up in our life, that new crisis is all that we're going to see and we need to be reminded that God is faithful. We need to be reminded of this because we are forgetful. God is faithful. We are forgetful. So listen, um, if you want to know how to overcome fear, I think it starts with this simple confession. God is faithful. Some of you who are high in anxiety right now, you need to write this down and you need to put it in places around your house that you're gonna see a reminder that God is faithful. You need to remind yourself of this truth that God is faithful. No matter what your circumstances are, God is faithful. And this is, this is one of the, some of the best advice I could give you as your pastor, that God is faithful no matter what it is you might be facing, whether it's COVID-19 or something else entirely, God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's not be forgetful. God is faithful. In all circumstances of our life, God is faithful. No matter, no matter what your life looks like right now, God is faithful. No matter how rough your marriage is, God is faithful. No, no, matter, no matter what your health might look like right now, God is faithful. No matter, no matter what choices your kids might be making, God is faithful. No matter how much money you have in the bank right now, God is faithful. No matter, no matter what your career is doing, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. We need to be reminded of this because, because we are forgetful. While God is faithful, we are forgetful. And the ultimate proof of God's faithfulness to us, it's shown in the empty grave. That no matter what we face, we know that God is faithful. Let's not be forgetful. Let's pray together. And so God, today I thank you that you are faithful, that your compassions, they fail not 
that you um, have faithfulness that reaches to the heavens and the skies, that your love for us never runs out and never runs dry. You are always for us and with us and that nothing in all of creation could ever separate us from your love. You are faithful and this is the reason why we can live in faith today. And so like Abraham, we are afraid. The news is scary. There are so many things to occupy our attention and our minds, but we want to return to the simple truth and be reminded of this again, that you are faithful. In the midst of our fear, may we be reminded and remember your great acts of salvation. May we be reminded of the cross and the empty grave, the ways that you've moved in our life, how you've called us and saved us and how you continue to provide for us, that you are faithful that we can believe your promises and that we can take you at your word. And in this, we're going to be credited as righteous, that it's it's the way that we live in a right way with you when we believe what you have said, that that you are faithful. So God, today we, we reaffirm this. We don't want to focus on the crisis. We want to focus our attention on your faithfulness, on you and your character, because you are faithful. Help us not to be forgetful. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Friends, it's been great to share this time with you. I hope that you are reminded of this truth that God is faithful. No matter what you're going to face this week, remind yourself of the truth. God is faithful. Don't be forgetful. God is faithful. Hey, if this has been a helpful experience for you, I encourage you to share this with friends, with family. Um, Share it online. Share this on Facebook or text it to people, this link. It's a great resource that we can share with other people to to share the good news of Jesus with others. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday at 9 o'clock.